You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 40 of the Jags Den Podcast. I am your host, James Johnson, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, of course, as you all know, uh, and as we have plugged for many, many years on this podcast, that is jaguarswire.usatoday.com, where you can check out our uh, our lovely site in which has the latest in Jags news, rumors, uh, this, that, and the other. You can also feel free to follow us on at Jags Den Podcast on Twitter at the Jaguars Wire for the site's handle on Twitter. Of course, you can follow me at Sports Grind underscore Done as well on Twitter. And um, for today's episode, which is on June the first Saturday, uh, I am gonna be riding solo dolo. Uh, but shout outs to Jacob, Jadella, DeLawrence, and Phil Smith, uh, both of whom are busy tonight. Again, it's Saturday night, June the 1st. Uh, shout outs to them. Of course, as always, you know, we'll we'll have them on future podcasts as well. Uh, but uh, today it's going to be me and it's going to be kind of a like more so of a um, review type of podcast, if you will. Uh, not necessarily one of those where we dive deeply into uh, content topics, but more so uh, I, I'm really going to talk about more so like some of the things that's coming out of the building and some takeaways from OTAs. As we all know, the Jaguars are two weeks into OTAs. They had session number six on Friday. It was. And right now, as we are always around this time, it's a lot of positive coming from the building. I mean, uh, but, you know, as it as the process unfolds, you know, I will begin to be able to make a fair assessment or a better assessment on, you know, the direction the team is heading in in the regular season. But nonetheless, we still could talk about what's going on in OTAs. I mean, what else is there to talk about around this time of the year anyway? And um, but before we do that uh, really quick. You all can uh, feel free to follow our archived episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, if I didn't say TuneIn already, and Audio Boom. Uh, we're pretty much on every major, uh, you know, podcast network there is out there. But um, under the Audio Boom network, of course, uh, that's where our USA Today, uh, our fellow USA Today uh, networks are on as well and we all just share a usa today network on there collectively so feel free to check out um the other teams as well that are a part of the uh, usa today wire sites as they provide quality content as well so uh all of that out of the way like i said we're gonna do you know kind of a review on ota and i also will be answering some questions in which we got from social media first time we're going to be doing that um because you know i just wanted to make the jazz wire and not only the jazz wire but this podcast more interactive uh so you know i just asked around on facebook on twitter uh, for questions that people want to answer then we're going to take care of good uh you know five to six of those today um so before we get into the show and the um, like I said, the the OTA topics at hand, just some quick hits 
Um, first and foremost, we want to uh, continue, as we have said in our articles on Jags Wire and on social media, uh, we want to continue to send our thoughts and prayers to uh, Nate Foles and his wife, Tori. As we all know, it was last weekend that she had um, some labor complications and uh, ended up having a miscarriage of their second child, who was a uh, a baby boy. And um, that was the reason behind Nick Foles uh, missing a day or I guess it was two days, really, of um, OTAs. But one of the days they took um, they took the field is what I'm saying. So he missed one day on the field um, and it later came out um, and it was revealed by Tori her, herself on her, her Instagram that, um, you know, she had the miscarriage last weekend. And, um, you know, that basically why Nick Foles, uh, Nick Foles missed OTA session number. I think it was number four. Or it might have been number five. Uh, but um, nonetheless, we, we just want to continue to send our thoughts and prayers to the Foles family because, you know, that that's a just a tragic situation. And um, heart goes out to Nick. Heart goes out to Tori as we, you know, admire both of them and their courage um, going forward. Because, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people saw the video on social media of him talking about the situation and all she's battled through. Uh, throughout you know this process not just you know losing the kid but she has um she's also been dealing with another illness that's escaping my mind right now and um you know he kind of got a little choked up and you know it was just a, a heartfelt moment you can't help but feel for the guy as he's been a, a terrific leader on the field so far in the little bit of time that he's been with Jacksonville and um you know she she basically encouraged him to come back to practice uh, as you know they'll have you know family there with her and and this that and the other so you know again uh you know hearts out to them and uh you know over time you know we hope they heal as as best as a couple can from uh, one of those types of situations. So also um, other quick hit is the Jaguars. Um, I got my notes here. And again, like I said, this isn't going to be the longest podcast, but I still got notes here. Uh, the Jaguars did. Um, well, I guess we can't really say they signed them yet. Officially, we don't know that yet. But Ian Rappaport, who was in attendance to practice this week, at least one of the days, did reveal that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to be signing Terrell Pryor, wide receiver, formerly of the Buffalo Bills, formerly of the New York Jets, formerly of the Cleveland Browns. He's been somewhere everywhere. Uh, but he started his career uh, with John Filippo in Oakland um, when John Filippo was their quarterback coach back in, I think it was 2012 or so. Uh, and then they met up again in uh, with the Cleveland Browns, where John DeFilippo was the offensive coordinator. Um, and later, I, I guess, or later in his tenure there, and I'm talking about prior, he's made the switch to wide receiver, was able to get over a thousand yards, if I can't, uh, if I can recall correctly, and roughly four to five, six touchdowns in the process. So, uh, you know, he had a little very, uh, I guess you could say, a very successful, at least as a receiver tenure under John Filippo when he was with the Browns. So uh, he'll be signing with the Jags. Ian Rappaport said it will be official Sunday. That's when he'll join the team. Don't know if the contract has already been signed. And by the way, that was um 77 receptions for 1,007 yards in 2016 and four touchdowns. So I was approximately right uh, when he was with the Cleveland Browns or last with Coach John DeFilippo. So, you know, 
in, in terms of my thoughts on this, uh, a lot of people have asked, you know, what, what to make of it. Um, you know, we're in the part of, of OTAs where there are a, a lot of young undrafted guys on the back end of the depth chart. And, um, you know, uh, more competition might be needed on that back end. But um, clearly, which we'll talk about later, if you look at the top four to five guys, you know, that's probably already established. Um, although, you know, the pads haven't gone on yet. But um, the, the guys atop the depth chart, your D.D. Westbrooks of the world, uh, Keelan Cole, Chris Conley, DJ Chark, and, you know, eventually Marquise Lee will be back. Right now, they're looking excellent. Again, that's one going to be one of the topics when we talk about the OTA and, and review OTAs. But they've looked good. But with um, I think, like, what it might be is a case of with Marquise Lee, um, yeah, they don't know if he'll be necessarily available for the regular season. They say he'll be late. He'll be ready late in the preseason to start practicing. Uh, that being said, that could mean he possibly could go or might need to go on IR uh, heading into the regular season. I guess time will tell. Uh, we'll know more about that as we get closer to the preseason or, or go through the preseason. But that being said, just in case Marquise Lee has to go on IR, you know, I think this could be a case where, you know, they might want a veteran guy on the back end of that depth chart, as I have said, on Jaguars wire uh, to, you know, basically go into the regular season with, you know, and even if Marquise Lee comes back during the regular season, you know, he might be a guy that they can keep around. And I'm talking about prior here, you know, as a sixth guy, uh, but he does also an, another big part of it is, you know, he does bring a great deal of height and speed to the position 6'4", 227 pounds. I don't think they have anybody of that that size on the roster currently. So there's that. And like I said, there's also the situation where, uh, you know, he's familiar with John Filippo. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to make the roster or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but it, it was just a situation where they brought him in. Uh, he looked good and uh you know, they, you know, it, it didn't hurt to add him onto the roster. So, you know, here we are with him and uh, we'll see where his career goes and if he can have a uh, a decent run with the Jacksonville Jaguars as he once did with the Cleveland Browns. So for the next topic at hand um, that I got on my notes for quick hits, uh, Yannick Ngakwe has been amongst the notables who has uh, missed several days of OTAs. And again, they're voluntary. And we've stressed that on this podcast. So, you know, we certainly won't hold it against him here at the Jags. And we talked about that before, as I said. Um, but yeah, although I am going to get into a topic with Leonard Fournette because he's missed some days too uh, later in the review, the review process for the OTAs. But again, like they're voluntary, can't really hold it against him, especially in Yannick Ngakwe's case. I think what you're looking at is, you know, he's on the last year of his deal, although he did say he will be here for all the OTAs and won't skip out the regular season and is going to be in attendance to training camp. Uh, it appears he might have had a change of heart. Uh, which, you know, I guess he's entitled to. That's fine. Um, I don't know if that I would have went out there and said I would be there. And, and, and you know, next thing you know, I'm not there. Uh, but again, I'm I'm definitely not going to hold it against him for not being there. I wouldn't be there if I was worth the money that he was. That's for sure. Uh, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I would have never went and told the media that, hey, I'm going to be here uh, for this, that and the other. But, you know, maybe there is a method to his madness. But 
Uh, you know, you, you see what Demarcus Lawrence got paid. You see what Frank Clark got paid. And I've talked about this multiple times. You know, Yannick Ngakwe is looking at a situation where basically he is worth 62 or upwards of 62 million or approximately 62 million dollars in guarantees. Um, I certainly wouldn't be out there risking it uh, in a voluntary phase if I was him, uh, especially, you know, where you where you have leverage. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars now have the cap space because of Telvin Smith's situation. Uh, so, you know, he's just simply playing it smart and uh, one can't blame him for doing that. So I just think like, you know, this is a case of I, I know a lot of people are concerned about him possibly getting his deal. I think he'll get the deal, you know, right around when training camp begins or roughly approximately a little bit after when training camp uh, begins. But I just think this is a case where I think Dave Caldwell and, and John Isaac, although, you know, we all know that Tom Coughlin is running the show, but I think Dave Caldwell and John Isaac, you know, they run that those type of situations, the contract situations more. And, and Dave Caldwell especially is probably looking at this as, Look, I'm just going to hold off to pay this man because if he gets hurt in the voluntary phases, our money's going down the drain. And and not only that, just as sure I've talked about this on Twitter and this is just me personally. But just as sure as J- Dave Caldwell and John Isaac come up with a contract for Yannick Ngakwe and let's say they did give him to give it to him in, in the voluntary phases in OTAs, Tom Coughlin is going to want. Yannick Ngakwe there and I don't know if it's worth the risk of having Yannick Ngakwe there on a 62 million dollar guaranteed contract or maybe a little less or maybe a little more than that I don't know if it's worth it to have him in a voluntary phase and he you know he goes out there and tweets an ankle tweets a knee or whatever the case may be and he's out for the season so I think Dave Caldwell just maybe you know, internally, if you look at the front office, he knows how Tom Coughlin operates. And it's no way that he really wants to risk that kind of money until he necessarily has to. So that being said, personally, I wouldn't fear uh, Yannick and Godquake getting his contract again. I think that very well could happen uh, when training camp begins or close to uh, after training camp begins. So that'll be a situation to watch unfold as time will tell what they do when Yannick and Gakwe. So um, another topic, another quick hit. Uh, uh, this is one I really don't want to necessarily talk on. Um, but Blair Brown and, you know, I I, I, t- I tend to uh, stay away from these uh, topics because they're very touchy. And, and not only that, they kind of hit home with me. So um, not that I've had a situation identical to this but you know it's just a very touchy subject and you just hate uh to hear about domestic violence and uh, this that and the other in the league i know there was the ray rice thing and you know a lot of times these situations are just terrible terrible situations and they just kind of turn your stomach uh but the reason i want to bring this up with blair brown is because if you all can recall a few podcasts ago, me and Phil were wondering why Blair Brown was cut. You know, it was kind of abrupt and it was kind of odd, not just us, but Jazz fans in general, especially with Telvin Smith's situation, you know, with him uh, taking a hiatus for a year or whatever the case may be. Uh, so a lot of people found it odd that they just cut Blair Brown. And then not only that, Blair Brown had only been on the team two years. You know, you would think they wanted to further develop him. And it appears we now have the answer for that as he was uh, booked for a battery incident. And 
I'm going to pull up the notes real quick or the article real quick on that. And again, the reason I'm referring back to this is, like I said, it's just we all found it odd as to why Blair Brown basically uh, was cut just so abruptly. Uh, but per Michael DeRocco, I'm reading this off of ESPN. Uh, you know, he pulled out a gun on the young lady, threatened her uh, at least allegedly threatened to kill her. And um, it resulted in her um, having bruises and marks on her. Uh, and again, like I say, this is kind of hard to talk about because it turns my stomach. And I, I'd rather talk about the more positive news. Uh, but, you know, I guess uh, there'll be a further uh, there'll be more of a legal process after that. And we'll we'll know more about the situation as it unfolds. But all I said all of that to say this, the reason that the Jacksonville Jaguars let him go is because they knew of this situation. Doug Marone admitted that he didn't want to go into details about it because of course, Blair Brown isn't on the team anymore. And just probably for, for legal issues or, or legal reasons. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Blair Brown was booked. Uh, that was April the 28th, or at least that's when the incident was. He was booked a couple days ago, actually in jail for that incident. And um, again, just, just, uh, you hate reading about this kind of stuff and you hate hearing about it, but um, hopefully justice will be served in the right way for that situation. And that's all I'm going to say. Now on to the main part of the show, the meat and potatoes. As I said, going to do a OTA review and talk about some of the storylines coming out of OTAs. Um, I got some stuff on uh, Leonard Fournette. Uh, that I want to talk on also some stuff on Telvin Smith and how uh, how how he'll be missed in the defense if he doesn't play or whether or not he will be missed or will it be a big impact on the defense or whatever the case may be. We're going to talk about that. Then, as I said, we're going to answer some questions uh, from the fans. So that being said, um, in terms of my OTA summary, uh, I guess like the, the biggest, the most notable topics to come out of OTAs is uh how how people have praised Nick Foles as a quarterback and I guess you can call it the Foles effect but clearly uh the media is sipping the Kool-Aid at this point and I, I haven't I willing fully admit I haven't been in attendance to OTAs but I'm going to be able to attend various OTA practices uh later in the summer so I'll be there to check things out myself uh later down the road but Clearly, you know, there's a whole new atmosphere in the Jacksonville Jaguars facility. And it was and it's because of foes who a lot of people in the media are saying gives them a, a better outlook on their future. And and not only that, but I think it was um, Brent Martineau on uh, ESPN 690. I, I checked out an episode or two this week uh, or it was last week, maybe. But uh, him and Austin Lane were talking about this on Action News Jacks ESPN 690. And, um, you know, they were saying, at least Brent was, for the first time in a long time, when you go to the facility, the Jacksonville Jaguars feel like a quarterback's team. And, you know, him saying that is telling because not only has he been saying it, but other media analysts and journalists, especially the local people, have been saying it just in a roundabout way. They've been praising Nick Foles. And again, we, we are well aware that they're in pads. And there's a lot more to this process after this. But for the time being, the outlook is great. 
Um, there's a better feeling in the building. And, and it's not just the media either. It's not just the Brent Martinos and the local people and the Ian Rappaports who also praise Nick Foles and the, the feeling around the building towards him. But it's also his teammates who have been praising him, you know, whether indirectly or directly or whatever the case may be, especially on defense. I know you all saw the article and you've seen, you know, you've seen it on social media as well, you know, from from the sources directly of A.J. Boye, you know, praising how hard or praising Nick Foles and saying how hard it has been for the defensive backs to make plays that they used to could make in the OTA phase. And again, you know, it's OTAs, the pads haven't gone on, but what, you know, that was telling because what AJ Boyer was saying is in, even in the OTA phase phases without, you know, without the pads and, and this, that, and the other in years prior, and he didn't mean to call out Blake Bortles and he wasn't trying to call out Blake Bortles, but years prior in this stage, you know, the DBs, were were able to make these plays on the ball. And you know that that's that's not necessarily a good thing in pads. If anything, I guess this is the best way to put it. If anything, when you're in the OTA phase and not in pads, you know, that is the time where DBs shouldn't be able to make these plays on the ball and this, that, and the other. And you know, they're now seeing that with Nick Foles where, you know, he's putting the ball perfectly in the receiver's hands. And that, that has a lot to do with my next topic that I'm gonna talk about, and that's the receiver's success and how they've looked in OTAs and the praise they've been getting. But he's been putting the ball where only they can get it. And he's been doing the basic things right, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, that in years prior that wasn't going on on the practice field. So that being said, the media is praising Foles. Uh, his teammates are praising him. The coaching staff is praising praising him. And um, you know, from that aspect of it, that's a good thing. Again, we know the pads have to go on, but so far so good. As I guess what I'm trying to say uh, out of Nick Foles, and it looks like the money was well spent so far. So we'll see. You know, if if he continues this going forward, but um, yeah, I mean. Even for somebody like me that didn't like the money they gave him, you know, you, you got to be encouraged about uh, about what is coming out of the building so far, at least. So um, time will tell as to, you know, if Foles lives up to that contract, uh, this, that and the other. So that's one of the big takeaways is how Foles has done and the praise that is coming out of the building uh, in terms of his performance so far. The next takeaway, as I said, is the receivers. And how successful they have been able to be. And, and you've seen my OTA rundowns. And thank you, everybody who reads those. Uh, because they've been doing very well. I said it on Twitter. You know, I'm just simply trying to take Mike K's place as best as I can with him going to Philadelphia and, and leaving the Jacksonville media. He was this was his time when uh, he got out that content about Jaguars OTAs and was very detailed about it and. You know, I guess like he was the guy in the Jacksonville media uh, that basically relayed the best and the most detailed information on OTAs to the people. And uh, we all knew when he left that that was kind of going to be missed. So I'm I'm just kind of trying to fill that gap for him and then and, and provide the people, the fans, which I am myself, too. I'm a fan of Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, that that quality and that detailed information on OTAs uh, that's coming out of the building. Again, I'm, I haven't been there. I will be there later this summer. But, you know, the guys that 
have been in the facility, uh, your, your Philip Howmans and all of those guys and, the, and Michael DeRocco and uh, the guys from Excel, Brent Martino and all of them. You know, I'm just accumulating what they've been saying and um, basically getting it out there for you all. So that being said, the receivers have been on point uh, from everything I've read and heard. And you better bet your bottom dollar when I get there as well as, you know, I'm going to have the guys with me feel uh Probably Phil. I know Phil works in the afternoon, but in the in years past, me and Phil and Jacob have gone uh, to OTAs, whether it's, uh, you know, we all sat on the sidelines together or should I say sat on the sidelines amongst the fans together or whether it's been me going solo, you know, with, with media credentials and, and watching it uh, directly from on the field. Just just know that we're going to get there. And uh, we're going to provide you all with some content from our eyes as well, not just from, you know, other people in the media. But nonetheless, the the receivers have looked good. Uh, Most notably, you you keep hearing about Chris Conley, for one, who I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, DJ Chark for two. Again, going to talk about that. And Keelan Cole are the main. And and you've even heard some things about D.D. Westbrook, too, uh, but more so those first three. And. I guess I'll start with Conley. I think, you know, what was key here is that Conley and not, you know, they've talked about Nick Foles being ahead of the curve because he came from Philadelphia, worked with John Filippo there and is familiar with the scheme, even though it's not completely the same scheme. A lot of things are the same at the same time as Nick, Nick Foles has said. And there are some different wrinkles in there as well, uh, enough for the defense not to be an exact duplicate of what, you know, Doug Peterson or or whatever or Andy Reid was running. But nonetheless, uh, just like Nick Foles is familiar with this offense, um, Chris Conley is, too, because, you know, they spent the time together under Andy Reid with Kansas City. And, you know, of course, this offense has some similarities to that as well and I think I said defense earlier but y'all know what I mean I meant the offense this offense has some similarities uh to Andy Reid's scheme as well because it's all from the same tree that Doug Peterson we've said this before that Doug Peterson tree that John DeFilippo tree uh you know and that um Andy Reid tree they're all they all kind of are along the same lines you know that west coast scheme uh they use spread principles this that and the other so Chris Conley you know People keep talking about how Foles is ahead of the curve. He knows a little bit. Chris Conley is a little familiar with this scheme as well. And that's probably why the Jazz brought him in. Um, other than, you know, he he's familiar with Nick Foles as well. And is a very good friend of his. And they have a good bond. And that bond and all of that is showing right now. That's why you, you're constantly hearing about Chris Conley kill it out there. And as a Georgia Bulldog fan, I knew about Chris Conley well before he came into the league. And he went to the combine, killed it, had one of the best combines. Really, when you talk about complete combines, this man had one of the best complete combines in modern day history. So he was drafted by Kansas City in the third round, if I'm not mistaken, went there. He was kind of buried in the dub chart. Um, But this this is one of the things, too. Like you look at the Tyreek Hill situation, going back uh, to one of those tragic domestic abuse uh, situations that kind of just is hard to stomach and hard to talk about. But, uh, you know, you would think he's not going to play this year. And ironically, they play the Jags first first game of the season. But I said all of that to say this, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are probably looking back at letting Chris Conley go and saying we probably should have held on to him to replace Tyreek Hill. 
it went there. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, you can't really speak uh, for what could have happened, but there's no doubt in my mind or or I'm, I'm fairly confident. At least I'll say that that Chris Conley is the guy that they probably would have asked to step up in his place. I mean, of course, they got Sammy Watkins as their number two. But as that number one burner, deep threat guy that that's got the unreal athletic abilities like Tyreek Hill. Chris Conley was a, you know, a very similar receiver in terms of that. So, you know, it's very it's a very strong possibility that, you know, had the Chiefs known about uh, Tyreek Hill's situation sooner that they would have kept Chris Conley. And, you know, at least early in the early stages, we're seeing why the Jacksonville Jaguars wanted him on their team. Although, again, I can't stress enough that the pads haven't gone on yet. But for those all, you know, all of those people like, oh, the pads aren't on, the pads aren't on. I I also could say this, you know, Chris Conley has flashed in the regular season when the pads have gone on and when the, uh, the, the DBs can get physical with him. Uh, but again, he's just kind of been buried in a, a deep depth chart and he probably didn't get a lot of good looks, you know, with Tyreek Hill there with Travis Kelsey there with Sammy Watkins there. You know, it's not really a lot of room for him to get balls thrown his way. So, of course, the production wasn't going to be there. I mean, at least in my opinion, I don't want to sound like a homer because I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan. But what I'm trying to say is I would like to see what this man can do. This young man can do when he's not in in a group of of Pro Bowl talents. I mean, you talking about three Pro Bowl talents there, really? Sammy Watkins, yeah, make no mistake about it. He's battle injuries, but Sammy Watkins is a Pro Bowl talent. You put three Pro Bowl talents in front of most receivers, and they aren't going to get the production that you would like. I mean, that calling a spade a spade, it, it, that's simply what it is. I mean, most receivers on that depth chart won't get a lot of balls thrown that way. So I think Jacksonville Jaguars should give this young man a chance and see what he brings to the table because in the early stages, at least, he's showing that he's capable. And even when the pads have gone on, he's shown that he's capable in spurts. You know, so, I mean, and he also dealt with, I think it was an Achilles injury that kind of hampered him as well. But he's 100% healthy from that now. He he talked about that earlier in the offseason season. And, um, you know, when another thing is when he was paired on the field with Nick Foles with the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of uh, in an actual regular season game, he killed it. I can't remember, like, the stats he put up, but Foles didn't really see a lot of starts or saw the field a lot when he was with the Chiefs. I mean, of course, because Alex, I think Alex Smith was there at the time, if I'm not mistaken, but. That being said, when they did see the field together, their chemistry was unreal and is now translating to OTAs. And, and, you know, I don't think people should be shocked by it for the simple fact that Conley is familiar with the offense just as well as Foles is. They've worked together. And not only that, they've shown that they have that chemistry in the regular season. And they've both shown, at least at times, that they both, and I'm talking about Foles and Conley here, have a great deal of ability when things are clicking. So, Conley's one of the standouts. Also, um, the other name I mentioned, DJ Chark. Again, I'm not surprised one bit. And DJ Chark, somebody that I and and the Jazz Wire, we're all personally high on despite the regular season he had. I mean, it it was abysmal, to say the least. But uh, in terms of special team, of a special teams player, he showed up then. You know, I know he had a... um, no, actually, no, he didn't get a penalty on special teams, if I'm not mistaken. But I was about to say he had a horrendous penalty he got on special teams. But uh, I think that was that flag was picked up and um, basically uh, the flag was wrongfully thrown, basically. So 
That being said, though, um, going back to Chark, yeah, he had a horrible regular season when you look at it, uh, but he was a rookie. Okay, you you can't really hold that against him. A lot of rookies have bad rookie seasons at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, everybody doesn't come out and put up a thousand yards or five five hundred yards or whatever the case may be. What whatever people have expectations of of a rookie receiver, but with Chark, I'm not the slightest bit surprised that, you know, that he's flourishing in OTAs because simply put, as I put on the Jaguars wire last year, at least as a practice player, this this young man showed he can practice and he can ball in practice. And he had a lot of people high on him last year during training camp, especially with Cody Kessler. You know, he saw a lot of time with the second string and him and Cody Kessler was like like two peas in a pod. Their connection is similar to that of Chris Conley and Nick Foles currently. Uh, so anytime, you know, Cody Kessler was on the field, that's who he was looking for is this man, DJ Chart, man. And, and the young man has the height. I don't want to say he has the size because he's only like 203. He's not rocked up like, uh, you know, who, who we were just talking about, the free agent we just signed. Um, That's escaping me right now. Uh, Terrell Pryor, who is, like I said, 6'4", 224. Chark is not you know, rocked up like that, but he does have the height. He does have the jumping ability. He does have the athletic ability. He's kind of, he's a lot like, like Chris Conley, if you're being honest with it, uh, honest about it. And uh, again, like he was, uh, the, what Chris Conley is to Nick Foles. He was that for Cody Kessler last year. And now, you know, he, especially with better quarterback play and somebody who can put, you know, put the ball in right in the right places and does the basic things right. And Nick Foles, he's really showing up again. Uh, but you know, there was no dispute in his athletic ability when he was drafted, uh, during the combine process, during the senior bowl process. And when, even when he was, you know, he was at uh, LSU, even though he was a little bit underutilized. And then that all kind of just transferred to the practice field last year in training camp. And uh, once again, you know, he just didn't have the regular season that, you know, most had hoped for. And, and he didn't have the regular season that would indicate he had the training camp that he had. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he's over that. He's over the injury he got late in the season. That's another part of, you know, he could have got a lot of production during those games that he missed. I think he missed like five games late in the season after the Pittsburgh Steelers game. Didn't come back to the Texans game, if I can recall correctly. So, you know, we're talking about four five, uh maybe six games he missed there. So, you know, that hurt his production as well but um dj chark is showing up and he's a guy that i'm high on going into this year especially with foes there even though foes doesn't necessarily uh throw a lot of deep balls in terms of regular season but um i think his speed and his height and his jumping ability will encourage as, as well as uh, chris Conley's, will encourage foes to go deeper uh or deep more times than he did when he was with the philadelphia eagles because you know when foes one thing about foes is he allows the receivers to get up under the ball and when you got that speed like chark and conley that's what you need and i think like he has the type of ball in terms of when you throw it that is perfect to compliment a chris conley or a, a dj chark which is what we're seeing now as opposed to a blake Bortles, where it's kind of off target and you know a receiver might have to go up and wait for a little bit you know hang in the air for a little bit we've seen it many times with keelan cole you know it wasn't the most perfectly thrown deep ball but keelan cole adjusted right uh with foes you know the 
it'll be less of less adjusting for the deep balls for these guys like Chris Conley and, and DJ Chart to get up under the ball and even D.D. Westbrook as well. So um, Keelan Cole, once again, uh, that was the third receiver that I mentioned. He's been solid and a lot of people will go on for record for saying, hey, he was solid last year, you know, like. You don't, you don't want to hype this guy up too much. But I think with Keelan Cole, I think what it was a case of is when they lost Marquise Lee, they kind of threw him into the front of the depth chart, atop the depth chart, where he he's probably not going to flourish as the number one or the number two. That's a little bit too much for him. And, and Keenan McCardell actually said this. You know, he, was, he felt like putting him at the number one or at the number two position put a lot on a young man's plate people forget you know he's an undrafted guy that came from Kentucky Wesleyan and yeah he's a professional and he was going into his second year but that's still a big you know that's a lot to ask for for somebody with Keelan Cole's background he's better served as a number three to number four and that's where I think Keelan Cole can be the most productive if you can keep him out of your top two and let DJ Chark and uh, Chris Conley and Dee Westbrook handle those number two, uh, that number one and two duty and, and have him come in there as number three guy. I think Keelan Cole can be a force to be reckoned with. And um, I, I guess we'll see that later in the season. A lot of people are saying that, you know, he's one of those bubble guys, but I think he makes the team um, regardless of to, as to Marquise Lee's situation. And I just think you just uh, I think T. Wiggs said it best on the Locked On Jazz podcast. Somebody that kind of had the success that he did early in his career. You just don't give up on that. And that doesn't happen on accident. So he has all of the talent in the world. uh, But, you know, he just needs to be in the right place in terms of, you know, his stature on the depth chart or his status on the depth chart. Um, because, you you know, he, you don't want to put him up there amongst the top of the depth chart because then I, I, and I mean, like we saw that last year, you know, when when your your guys that were your number three and number four had to move up to the number one and two positions, you're in trouble. And a lot of that was because of, you know, like I said, Marquise Lee's injury. But, you know, everybody's pretty much back and is fully healthy. Uh, again, Marquise Lee will come back late in the preseason. I don't know if he'll be on the depth chart, but. Uh, you know, they have the adequate numbers at the top of the depth chart now with the addition of Chris Conley. So those are the two biggest takeaways from OTAs. Uh, the receivers have looked good, oh, as well as Josh Oliver, um, who dumped on his praise. Many have praised uh, the guys from the Florida Times Union. And again, going back to Nick Foles, the big thing about tight ends and Geoff Swain said this or Jeff Swain I guess I'm saying it wrong but Jeff Swain said it the reason why he believes that tight ends love Nick Foles so much your Zach Ertz of the world your Dallas uh, Goldert's of the world and I think he even played with Travis Kelsey uh, back when he was with Kansas City uh, when Travis Kelsey first got there on his rookie contract Uh, but the reason why they like this guy is because he throws the ball where it needs to be and that that helps so much at the tight end position. And I think Josh Oliver is, you know, witnessing that. So he's another guy standing out. But uh, in a nutshell, it's, right now it's looking good for now for the receivers and the quarterback position. The offense just all around looks uh, a lot better. And the outlook and, and the vibe around the offense, a lot of people are more positive. Even the, the guys on the defensive end are more positive about the outlook of this offense. But uh, we'll see what happens in mandatory mini camp and what happens 
in training camp as the Jaguars will also be uh, traveling to play the Ravens. I think they're going to practice against the Ravens and it might be another team that practice again. It's escaping my mind right now. But that being said, on to the next topic as we're running around 40 minutes right now. I wanted to wrap this up by 50 minutes, at least make it as short as possible. But I kind of got caught up in talking about the receivers. But um, that being said, though, our next topic at hand is uh, Leonard Fournette, who a lot, a lot of people have been um, making a lot of fuss about him missing a couple days. I think he's missed two straight days in OTAs, and those might have been day, what was it, five and six? And, uh, you know, again, they're voluntary. Again, you won't catch us arguing about somebody missing voluntary practices. Uh, but in Leonard Fournette's case, I, I do want to say this. The reason I brought it up is, um, you know, somebody with his baggage and it's not necessarily like terrible off the field baggage. Like, you know, he got arrested for the whole thing with the car ticket thing. But like it's it's not like he it was a domestic abuse case. You know, like basically like I was just saying with Blair Brown or or um or Tyreek Hill, you know, it, you know, he, that wasn't that big of a deal. But when you look at Fournette's baggage with the front office, you know, like the whole voluntary thing, like, yeah, sure, you could use that as a case. And, and hardly ever will you hear me arguing about a player not being at voluntary practice, but. You know, I, I could argue that like Leonard Fournette is a guy that of every person that's on the roster right now, even from from basically the guys that's not going to make the team that's that's undrafted that nobody's ever heard of to the Calais Campbell, the Calais Campbell's on the roster and the Yannick Ngakwe's and the Jalen Ramsey's of the roster. You know, everybody can, you know, make a case that they can miss a day of voluntary practice or, or two or whatever the case may be. But it's a little different with Leonard Fournette because like I said, there is that baggage he has with the front office. And another reason is why I'm, I'm going to tell you all why it's a little different with Leonard Fournette. I think like he's getting to the point where every little thing that he does is going to be watched under a microscope by the front office, more, most specifically Tom Coughlin. And I think he kind of has to be aware of that. And, and not only that, furthermore, I think when you look at it, the whole thing with them drafting Rock Armstead, right? Quell Armstead, but you know, everybody call him Rock Armstead for short. You know, it might be more to it than people are putting to it. I know he was a fifth round pick or whatever, but he's so identical to Leonard Fournette. It would not surprise me if he ended up being the number two on the roster in the regular season. He might not open it that way, but later down the road, he could be the number two. And they pair those two together as a one-two punch. And if Rock Armstead shows up enough, you know what I'm saying? If he can have like one of those seasons like MJD had when he was paired with Fred Taylor, that could maybe entice the Jacksonville Jaguars to move on from Leonard Fournette. Because after, what what is it? This will be his third year. You know, this is the point where he can ask for a contract extension. But he doesn't, Leonard Fournette doesn't necessarily have the leverage to do that it, especially well i'll say this if he doesn't have a good season this year he really won't have the leverage to do that and if rock armstead can impress this roster or or you know the evaluators enough to to make them believe they can be a number one or he could be a number one then you know the we could look, be looking at a situation and again we haven't seen what he can do on the field he's a rookie and he's unproven but we could be looking at a situation where 
you know, they could just flat out just move on from Leonard Fournette because we all heard about them avoiding the contract guarantees and all of that. I, I don't know the specifics behind that. I'm going to have to research that more and where they are with that and, you know, the stipulations, if they cut him after next year, what will happen, this, that, and the other, and how much cap figure he'll he'll eat up or how much dead cap it'll be. Uh, but the specifics behind that I'll have to look up is what I'm saying. But I'm just saying I think the Jacksonville Jaguars took – Rock Armstead in the fifth round with the intentions of maybe having him be a successor to Leonard Fournette. And again, he's unproven. We have to see what he can do on the field. But and, and you haven't really heard a lot out of him um, during OTAs. But I, I think uh, a running back story is more telling when the pads go on. So we'll we'll know more about him then. And then in, in training camp, you know, when when they take the field for um, you know, for their preseason games and whatnot, we'll know more about him. But I just think like Leonard Fournette just has to be careful. Like he's the one person on this team that really can't look at it as, hey, they're voluntary practices. And that's rare that a player can't say, hey, these are voluntary practices. You know, I can miss a day or two because, like I said, he's being watched under such a, a small microscope by Tom Coughlin in the front office who he's already had incidents with. And then he went out there and said, you know, hey, I want to be a leader and, and, and this, that and the other. At least that's what he said through the running backs coach or to the running backs coach. Um, Robisky, who I was about to say his name is escaping me, uh, but um, Terry Robisky, I think it is. I get him and his son mixed up, but uh, Coach Terry Robisky was saying, you know, Leonard Fournette wants to be great, and I believe him. Like for crying out loud, like I said, the young man was crying after he lost the AFC Championship. I believe he wants to be great, but all I'm saying is like, you know, he's the one guy. And it, like I said again, it's rare that a player can't say, hey, it's it's voluntary. I can't. You know, I can miss a day or two, but he's the one player that you can argue that probably can't say that because, like I said, he's just had the history and he's being looked at under such a small microscope. And that that Rock Armstead thing should be in the back of his head, you know. But again, time will tell uh, what to make of that. But that's just something I just wanted to get off my chest in, in terms of uh, Leonard Fournette situation because I was kind of, uh, you know, I just came about it. When when I was just looking at the depth chart, I was like, you know what? Like, maybe the Jags want uh, Armstead to be their future, you know, or, or they're hoping he could be their future. But we'll see. And time will tell. So um, on to the next topic at hand. Um, a lot of people have been asking about Telvin Smith. And one of the questions were actually about Telvin Smith that I'm going to answer later. Uh, but they actually talked about on, this on uh, ESPN 690 on Action News Jacks or Action Sports Jacks. And um they were talking about like how how severely missed Telvin Smith could be, and me personally, I believe you know it it depends. It very well depends if if the Jacksonville Jaguars, which they probably won't. Um, I guess that also depends on how the offense plays. But if the Jacksonville Jaguars are seeing a lot of teams that are pass happy and teams that are like throwing the ball against them a lot then it could very well be an issue um i mean well not an issue but it, it could very well the jaguars very well could be upgrading the weak side linebacker position is what i'm saying uh because telvin smith who i'm a, I'm a big fan of everybody knows i mean telvin smith's my favorite player and i put him as the jaguars wire on our header he was the picture of the jaguars wire header um, and I'm, like I said, I'm from the same area as him. I got a Telwin Smith custom made shirt for crying out loud. So he's my favorite player on the team. So it's it's really killing me that he's not going to play this year. But uh, that being said, 
you know, if, you know, they might not miss him that much. I guess what I'm trying to say, they may not miss him that much uh, when when it comes to passing downs, because, you know, he was a liability in, in past coverage, even even dating back to when the Jaguars were having a great deal of success. Like when, when they were in 2017, even then he was, you know, he had his issues then. I know you all can remember the Le'Veon Bell touchdown in um, the divisional round against the Steelers where, you know, if Telvin Smith could get his head around, he was there in terms of coverage. He can get his head around and, and locate the ball. They prevent that touchdown, you know, and that was a crucial point in the game. That that It didn't lose the Jaguars the game, but that could have been a turning point in the game. That could have, you know, really – Killed the Jazz momentum and put them behind. I forget what the score was or whatever, but what I'm saying is that, that if Telvin Smith makes that play, you know what I'm saying, the Jaguars may win that game uh, by uh, in a better fashion than they did. Which I mean, regardless, they still won the game. Uh, they kept it interesting. I'm not complaining about that, but I'm just saying, like, I'm just relating to his coverage abilities he's just never been good in coverage it is what it is and this is coming from his number one fan so in terms of the coverage thing if they're seeing a lot of sets where teams are throwing on them, they they might not miss him that much and then you look at Quincy Williams Quincy Williams was a safety um, and, and this is barren if Qu- Quincy Williams start but he was a safety at Murray State so he may have more fluid coverage skills than Telvin Smith and he may be an upgrade. And again, like to come from Murray State and go to the big leagues and be a third round pick, that's a huge jump. But all I'm saying is like he just may be more instinctive and more natural to coverage than Telvin Smith. Not saying he'll be a better overall player than Telvin Smith or he'll be what Telvin Smith was against the run and, and as a tackling machine because the man led, it, led the team at tackles for, what, three years. Which brings me to my next point, actually. Really, when you get down to what made Telvin Smith so good was his ability against the run and his instincts to find his way to the ball when a team was running the ball. So that being said, again, going back to my man Quincy Williams playing safety at Murray State, if Quincy Williams has decent instincts and has the the instincts that a safety should have, being that he played the safety position and played in space in time, you know, the drop off might not be as big as people are thinking. And I guess in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is it might not be that hard to replace. And I'm not trying to discount Telvin by any means. Again, I'm his biggest fan and I think he means a lot to this defense. But what I'm saying is it might not be that hard to replace a weak side linebacker whose best trait was instincts I guess is what I'm trying to say Uh, because I mean you look at it in the league sometimes you can easily find a weak side linebacker with good instincts that can have a successful rookie season and I think like a classic case of that if you, you look no further than within our own division you look at what the Colts did with Darius Leonard who led them in tackles if I'm not mistaken and was up for a defense rookie of the year honors or rookie of the year honors. It was one of the two or maybe both. Who knows? Uh, but you look at him and what he was able to do as a rookie, as a tackling machine, you know, his instincts is what basically, you know, made him stand out as a player. And, uh, you know, sure. Yeah, they got him in the second round and, you know, Quincy Williams was drafted in the third round, but it's not like it's a four round difference. You know what I'm saying? So I guess what in a nutshell is what I'm trying to say is 
if Quincy Williams has decent in- instincts and, and shows decent instincts through the season and he can cover better than Telvin Smith, the drop off might not be as big as we thinking it's going to be, y'all. I mean, simply put, and no, by any means, I'm not saying Quincy Williams is going to be the guy. He's going to be, you know, the next Telvin Smith. I'm just saying that if the young man has decent instincts and can find to his his way to the ball like in a Darius Leonard like way and, and he can cover a little bit better than Telvin Smith, then the Jacksonville Jaguars defense might not have that much of a drop off at that position. But uh, again, like we have to see what Quincy Williams can do when the pads go on uh, this, that and the other. But. Like I said, it's sometimes it's not as hard to replace a, a weak side linebacker that has good instincts as people think is what I'm saying. And I think, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars seem to think that Quincy Williams, you know, flourishes enough in, in that in terms of instincts and in terms of in, in space and in terms of coverage ability. I think that they think enough of him that he can make it to where the drop off of Telvin Smith's play in the defense is minimal. Now, what would I love to have Telvin Smith over Quincy Williams? Of course, no questions asked about it. <laughs> you know, like sure, of course I would. But again, like I think when when this season is over with, we could look back at it. I wouldn't be shocked if we look back at it and said, yeah, you know, it would have been nice to have Telvin Smith there. But Quincy Williams actually didn't play that bad at that position. In a nutshell, that's what I'm trying to say. So all I'm trying to say is don't be surprised if if, if Quincy Williams can handle the weak side linebacker duties and, and replace or, or, you know, not necessarily replace Smith, but play decently at the weak side position to the point where it's really not that big of a deal. So I guess time will tell, you know, about Quincy Williams again. We got to see what this man can do when the pads go on and whatnot. But, um, you know, that's just something that was on my mind uh, that I wanted to get off my chest in terms of Quincy Williams. So now we're going to answer some questions to wrap this up. I think we're roughly at the 55 minute mark here. So we're probably going to hit an hour here in answering these questions. I'm going to go to the ones on Facebook first. All right. And coincidentally, the first question that I found here on Facebook, uh, pertains to what I just basically just talked about. And that was Telvin Smith. And um, well, it kind of pertains to that. Um, So Charles P. Lucas asks and shout outs to him for um, getting in the forum here or the comments and and asking our question or asking the question uh, when we made the post. But he asks, uh, he would like to know if Telvin Smith is playing or not this year. If not, who's replacing him? Uh, what position is Mike Jack, uh, Miles Jack taking this year, inside linebacker or outside linebacker? Um, so in terms of Miles Jack, uh, it's clear that he's going to play middle linebacker. You know, well, at least for the moment, it's clear that he will. Uh, you know, he came out to say it uh, in I guess it was last month. Last month, he said, you know, that or it was maybe month before last. But he said clear cut and dry. I am the Mike. I am the middle linebacker for this defense. And you would think they probably want to keep him there because when you look at it now, he's really the longest tenure. And Austin Lane talked about this on the radio. He's really the longest tenure linebacker in the group. So, you know, you probably need him in the middle to be that leader, that field general, that quarterback. Really, he's one of the longest tenure veterans 
on the defense in totality. I think Avery Jones has been there longer than him. But other than that, everybody's been there like three years like him or two or less. So, you know, you would want to, I guess in the Jags' minds, they want to keep him at that middle linebacker position because he he is one of the uh, veteran savvy players and one of the more knowledgeable guys there. So he can quarterback the defense, if you will, like Paul Puzlesny did. So, in theory, they could move Jake Ryan there. I don't think they're going to do that and and put Miles at a weak side linebacker, which I think he's actually better at. But, again, I don't think it's not – I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea to keep him at middle either because, like I say, without Telvin especially, they're so inexperienced in the linebacking core. You probably need him at that middle position to kind of get everybody right and um, put everybody in the right place, if you will. So, uh that's one of the um, answers to your question there, Charles P. Lucas. And um, in terms of he asked for a update on Telvin Smith and, and whether or not he's playing and who's replacing him. As I just said in, in, in the previous segment, I, I believe it probably will be Quincy Williams, even though DJ Alexander, uh, to my knowledge, has been taking the snaps. And that's one of the guys they uh, basically signed off the street before. A rookie mini camp that was last month in May, uh, but DJ Alexander has been taking the um, the snaps there. Uh, but uh, you know what? Like I like I said, I, I think Quincy Williams they took him so high for a reason, and for him to get taken that high as a third round pick, and maybe they reach. But you know, you hear teams like the San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks uh, talk about you know how high they had him on the board. You know, it, it's clear the Jaguars weren't the only people that were high on this young man, but as I was saying, uh, with the weak side linebacker position, you know, Quincy Williams coming from that safety position uh, probably has a good feel for being out in the open, uh, which sometimes that's the case with weak side linebackers. And he probably has a a, a very decent feel for coverage as well. And I, I believe that's a lot of why the Jaguars is those two traits. I, I believe that's a lot of why the Jaguars took him at the third pick or their second third round pick and um that being said it would not shock me if you know by training camp he has made his way up into the first team and has replaced dj alexander and another thing you really can't put a lot into who's going with the ones in otas in terms of like these you know these no names like cedric obuji and uh, or I'm, i might be saying that wrong or said cedric abuhi or um, please forgive me how I'm butchering that, but he's been taking first team snaps with the right tackle uh, at the right tackle position and the left tackle position. Does that mean he's going to start there? No. So you really can't put that much into Alexander being there for the moment because uh, you know Quincy Williams could eventually overtake him there, and Quincy Williams has made plays at OTAs if you have been reading our um, OTA rundown. So wouldn't shock me if he's eventually the starter there. Um, the next question we got here, let's see, from James Webb, any chance we try and pick up a veteran inside linebacker? Um, doubtful, because like I said, the Jaguars have Miles Jack and they plan on using him there, uh, or, or they plan on, that's where they plan on starting him at. And then they have Jake Ryan as well, who will be coming, you know, he, he's rehabbing right now. He's getting that knee right. He hasn't taken part on the field drills with the team but he's been on the side fields working out uh, for those who read our OTA rundowns so you know he'll be the second string guy you would think and he maybe can play some outside linebacker too but in a nutshell the Jaguars have 
a number one and they have number two at the inside linebacker position. So to answer your question, James Webb, no, I don't think so. And then you look at the free agent market. I, I don't have the list up ahead of me, but I don't think it's any guys that really stand out there in, in terms of the middle linebacker position that you might want to pick up there. So I'm very doubtful that they do that, um, James. So the next question, let's see, we got from Taylor Robertson. Do you feel our defense is on the same caliber as two seasons ago? And if so, can we make a run at the AFC ship this year while the team is still young? Uh, I don't necessarily, I think, here's what I think about the Jaguars defense. I don't I think it's going to be hard to get back where they were two years ago. I mean, you look at it, even with the addition of Josh Allen, you know, one thing that concerns me, uh, Calais Campbell continues to age, even though he didn't really show his age last year. But he's at that age where like one year you're good and then one year it's a a huge drop off. So you got to be wary of that. You got to be mindful of that. Uh, but that's not to say Calais Campbell is going to fall off a cliff or he's going to look terrible this year. I'm not saying that by any means, um, but I'm saying like it could be a decline in play. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it also wouldn't surprise me if Calais Campbell came and, and balled out like he did in 2017 and 2018. But that's just something to be mindful of. Um, also, you know, like I said, you know, you that pass rush. It could be very good or it might not meet our expectations. You know, sure, they got Josh Allen, but Josh Allen is a rookie. And to put a lot of expectations into him having this crazy season, it's just, you know, that's not fair. Because typically rookies that are pass rushers typically don't have all that crazy of a season. And then you got Yannick Ngakwe, who could very well miss a lot of training camp. And that's not to say Yannick won't be somewhere training his behind off. But, you know, not being at training camp and missing some training camp sessions and especially if he misses significant time for his contract uh, you know that could kind of get him off to a slow start in terms of the regular season too as we saw he got off to a slow start last year uh, because you know teams were they knew who he were they knew who he was so to speak and uh, they they were watching him carefully and they were they were game planning for him in a nutshell now eventually you know he started to find his way again uh, this that and the other but you know I guess what I'm trying to say is it wouldn't be surprising if the the pass rush I won't say it was bad it's bad but it wouldn't surprise me if the pass rush isn't this monster that we're thinking that will be and in a nutshell you know I think what we could be looking at is, is a defense is more along the lines of what we saw in 2018 you know they were fifth if I'm not mistaken overall still very good defense nonetheless but not on the same page or, or the same caliber they were in 2018 but that's just my personal opinion on it and and even if they are like that this is the thing about it Jaguars defense they all they have to do is be good as they were last year they don't necessarily have to be what they were in 2018 I think the key variable here is how much the offense helps them out if the offense is better than it was last year and they could be a top 15 unit and what Foles is doing now in OTAs and the receivers are doing now can translate and Leonard Fournette is healthy for the most part and returns to what he was in 2017. The Jaguars offense doesn't have to be this, this offense that is 
just number one in the league. And and they very well could be like they have the potential to be that too. But the Jaguars offense can can be what they were last year, fifth overall. Of course, they need to get more turnovers. You know, that that has to increase like it was in 2017. They need more turnovers. They need more pick sixes and they need, uh, you, you know, more sacks and, and this, that and the other. But again, like they don't have to be this, you know, this historic defense like we saw in, in 2018 or 2017. If the offense and all of these upgrades the front office has brought into the offense, if those all work as they're supposed to and the offense does what they're supposed to do, then the Jaguars can very well be the same or, or for the most part of uh, what they were in terms of statistics, in terms of overall defense last year, they could be that. And this could be still a very successful team. In my opinion, next question is from, let's see who we got here. Oh, Victor. He was the first one to ask us a question. And uh, we actually told him that we would answer his question. And he asked, and this is Victor Harris Jr., by the way, I've noticed we don't have a fullback on the roster. Therefore, do we plan on signing one or not? Appreciate the answer and keep up the good work. Thank you for reading and um, thank you for the encouragement, Victor. Um, In terms of the fullback position, well, the thing about John Filippo is when you look at his uh, – his offensive his, his offenses historically uh they don't really use a tight end like that if i can recall i looked at like some of the things that the um the eagles did for example i don't know if i really watched a lot of vikings film but what the eagles did when uh, d filippo and Foles were there together and a lot of times they just use these h backs if you will which is like a tight end who can go in the backfield and block as a fullback. And he, Don, John Filippo even alluded to this in his press conference in OTAs a uh, week before last. You know, he was saying that what they are looking for right now, you know, and they very well could, you know, add a fullback later down the road, but I don't think they will. And what he was saying uh, kind of hinted that they will not do that. But he was saying we're looking at guys right now. We're looking at a Geoff Swain or a Jeff Swain, and we're looking at – um my man uh that they signed this year um James O'Shaughnessy and and you know guys like that in the backfield as blockers to see where they are and you know if they show us enough basically this is I'm paraphrasing here if they show us enough as blockers in the backfield and and, and blockers in general it probably won't be a need for them to get a fullback so yeah historically he doesn't really use fullbacks like that he uses tight ends in a H-back role to block in the backfield. So I don't think they're going to get a fullback this year, Victor, uh, to be quite honest with you. So I'm trying to make sure I got all of the Facebook comments or the Facebook um, questions, which I did. And now we got one more on Twitter. And it was from uh, Terrence Hayes. Who uh, who's actually very interactive with me on Twitter? Shout outs to him, and I'm sure he reads the site a lot. But um, you know, he's got that's frequently asking questions. Him and Randy Dean. Shout out to my man Randy Dean, who uh, that's my homeboy from Jacksonville, who I actually met at a Jazz game, man. So, you know, that that just that just goes to show you, like, you could just meet random strangers at a game, and they could become your homies and and whatnot at Jazz games, man. So when you go to Jazz games, guys, interact with your your neighbors and the people around you, man. You might you might find you a friend for life or whatever. But um, that being said, Terrence X, who receives more snaps this season, Avery Jones or Taven Bryant? I'll say this: 
with Taven Bryan being drafted as a first round pick and like people calling him JJ Watt light or JJ Watt like 2.0 or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, basically a mini me version of JJ Watt. You would hope that Taven takes over at the three technique position this year. And I mean, the longer he's not a starter, the more we should be concerned, I think. And I think when the pads go on, I guess his story will be told more when the pads go on because, you know, of course, right now you're not hearing a lot about the offensive lineman or the defensive lineman because OTAs, you know, isn't is, isn't about the lineman. It's not about what's going on in the trenches. Typically, then you want to, you know, see what the receivers are doing, the quarterbacks are doing uh, because it's more predicated to success for them. Because the the pads aren't on, you can't be physical. There's not really like contact like that. Yeah, it's contact, but it's not, you know, a, a ridiculous amount or crazy amount of contact that you would have when you have full pads on. So we'll know more about Taven Bryan and whether he can overtake uh, Avery Jones on the depth chart, if you will. Um, I know him, Avery Jones and uh, Marcel Darius are kind of interchangeable. One can play three technique, one can play nose tackle, uh, but. With Taven Bryan being solely a three technique guy, you would think he would overtake Avery Jones' spot. And then, you know, Marcel Darius is coming back on a restructured deal, but he's not making pennies, so to speak, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know his salary, but you would think they want to keep him on the field at that nose tackle position. And like you said, it's a matter of who who it will be beside him between Taven and Avery Jones. I'm hoping for, like I said, for the sake of Taven Bryan being a first round pick. And, and you know what I'm saying? Them, a lot of people putting the praise into him being a good selection and him being the successor, especially that was the big thing. He was going to either succeed Calais Campbell or succeed uh, Malik Jackson. And as we saw, he wasn't all that good at the defensive end, the big end position where Calais plays, which prompted them to move him inside and make him Malik Jackson's replacement. So when they got rid of Malik Jackson, they all but said, hey, Taven Bryant is our future at the three technique position. And we need to start seeing, um, you know, that payoff this year. And he needs to be a um, a starter this year, at least in my opinion. Um, yeah, sure. You know, maybe next year, you know, he could he could get in that starting role and, you know, he still could have a successful career. But the sooner I guess what I'm trying to say is the sooner, the better. And I'm hoping that Taven Bryant gets on the field. Uh, as the starter next to Marcel Darius at the three technique position this year. But it's hard to tell, you know what I'm saying, what what he's looking like right now because no pads are on. But as I said early in the podcast, I will be in attendance to a lot of their summer sessions or their sessions um later in the summer because it's, it's currently the summer. But I'll be there in attendance for training camp and maybe even mandatory mini camp to get a better gauge on Taven Bryant. And I'll be sure to watch him for you and and for the sake of the site and get back with you on how he's looking and how much uh, ahead or how much behind he is uh, in in the competition with Avery Jones. So uh, that was all the questions I had. I appreciate everyone asking. Uh, that's the first time I did that and um, got great questions there. And and, and a lot of people uh, were interactive, uh, unlike in the past. Is I've asked for questions and really haven't gotten all that many. But um, shout outs to everybody who uh, hit us up on those as we close the podcast here. Um, we are roughly at what? The one ten ish mark, I believe. Uh, so that being said, uh, of course, you all know where you can find 
our content. That's jaguarswire.usatoday.com. Uh, hopefully for next podcast, episode 41, we'll have uh, both Jacob and Phil back on the ones and the twos with me. Um, of course, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn, Audio Boom, uh, which in which the USA Today Network has all of their wire podcasts on in general. So um, it's also other interfaces you can find us on major interfaces, Radio Public, uh, Deezer, and uh, pretty much you name it, we're we're pretty much there. Spotify, probably, um, but yeah, you name it, we're there. So. Feel free to check us out there in terms of the content that's coming up. Going to continue to do those OTA rundowns. Uh, keep you all in the loop of what's going on with OTAs because you guys have been great with reading those and sharing it and liking it. Um, So, you know, this has been a big year for us in terms of OTA stuff. And hopefully I can get down there for mandatory minicamp, as I told you all. And, you know, see some things in person uh, for myself. So, uh, yeah, that's mostly what we'll be focusing on is OTAs and mini camp in terms of uh, the um, the work on the site. And, uh, you know, pretty much after that, it, we might wind down a little bit to prepare for the regular season. And, and for not only that, the preseason, which is going to be huge for the Jacksonville Jaguars as they're going through their 25th anniversary. And, you know, just in general, they a lot of people want to see if they're going to bounce back. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy year. So um, that being said, we are going to close the podcast here. And as my comrades always say, before we close out, Miles Jack was not down. Go Jags and everyone have a good night.